Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly L.A. Rams podcast, bi-weekly during the season. We are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome Ram fans, episode 51, the Rams bye week. We still have some good stuff for you today though. We're going to get you educated on what the situation is regarding the Rams in the 2022 draft. A lot of misinformation out there, some of it courtesy of yours truly. So we're going to try to get that straightened out. What picks do the Rams have? What picks can they expect to get comp wise? We're calling that our draft picks 101 segment. We'll also have our updated Elite 8 plus 2 power rankings and our game picks. And we're also going to take a close look at the playoff situation as it stands today. And we also have a segment on UCLA basketball. The Bruins are getting it together under Coach Mick Cronin. A lot of good stuff happening there on the court and recruiting-wise, so we're going to get you caught up with that. And finally, we have a special sports pet peeve that we have been sitting on for a slow week, and the bye week fits the bill. So we have that at the end of this episode. Get you caught up on some Ram news. I was really surprised people were criticizing OBJ's performance on Monday night, calling it a flop. I don't know what they were expecting. Yeah, maybe I would have expected a few more catches, especially with Robert Woods out, but I'd hardly call this a flop. I mean... The guys had like three or four days to get prepared for the Ram offense. Pump the brakes, folks. Reserve judgment. Way too early to be making any assessment about his contribution. And really silly to call this a flop on Monday night. Even Troy Aikman jumped in saying that Stafford's first interception was strictly due to his attempt to get OBJ involved in the offense. I didn't see it that way, but whatever. Get through some snap counts for you on offense. The Rams only had 55 snaps. Van Jefferson was out there for 52. And Ben Skaronik for 42 snaps. I have to slow down when I say his name now. I want to say Skaronik so badly. Ben Skaronik, we're just going to call him Ben from now on. How about that? OBJ was out there for 15 snaps. And on that, you're going to call it a flop, right? I get it. Rams defense, 68 snaps. Greg Gaines only missed three snaps, and that may have been a part of the problem with the run defense, not putting it on Greg Gaines, but asking him to be out there for 65 snaps. Now, usually Sebastian Joseph Day would be out there for more than half. We certainly don't have him for now, but you can't just expect Greg Gaines to hold up for 65 snaps, can you? I think Greg is a very good player, But that's a big ask for Greg Gaines. Sorry. Marquise Copeland was out there for 26 snaps and Ashawn Robinson for 51. Bobby Brown out there for just one snap. Kind of troubling. We need help in the run defense and the Rams don't feel like he is ready. Taylor Rapp, Jordan Fuller, and D. Will did not miss a snap. Jalen Ramsey, they finally pulled him late in the game wisely. Maybe Sean is listening to me. Von Miller, 45 snaps. Had an impact in the run game, not so much in the pass game, but the way this game went, 
that's to be expected. No word on Sebastian Joseph Day's injury. No update on when he may be expected back. I suspect it's going to be a while. Not sure if we've addressed this before, but Cam Akers could actually be back for the playoffs. Sean McVay saying he's on track to do that. So that would be great. I think Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle have done just fine, but Cam Akers would take this run game to a new level. Haven't really looked at punting stats and kicking stats. Like to do that here. Johnny Hecker is 27th in the league in average yardage on punts. Corey Bajorquez, the guy he beat out, is 6th, 5 yards better than Johnny. They have a similar number of punts and similar number inside the 20 as well. Johnny has 14, Corey has 11, so Johnny's got a little bit of an edge there. However, Bajorquez leads the league in net punting, and he also has the longest punt of the season, 82 yards. Kicking stats, Matt Gay is third in scoring. Two for two on field goals of 50 yards or greater. 29 of 30 on extra points. He's just missed the one field goal. His average kickoff, though, is near the bottom of the league at 61 yards. Speaking of kicking, specifically punting, you all heard about the San Diego State punter, Matt Ariza, left-footed punter. Man, this guy is crazy good. Took over the starting job just this year. His first game, he punted for 511 yards on nine punts against New Mexico State. Six of those were 50-plus yards. Four were inside the 20, and one went 77 yards. Ariza has as many 80-yard punts this season as NFL punters have had in the past decade. Unbelievable. He's already set the record for the most 60-plus yard punts in a season at the FBS level. He has six for over 70 yards and 17 for over 60 yards, and he has a 52.2-yard punt average, a yard better right now than the NCAA record. So this guy is a beast, a weapon, punting the ball. He can also kick field goals, but I do not think he will do that at the NFL level, maybe as an emergency kicker. But this guy could be the best punter we've ever seen. I would have no problem with the Rams taking him in, say, the fifth round. He may not last that long. Everybody's going to have him on their draft board. Matt Ariza, San Diego State. Mark that name down. Be interested to see how high he goes in next year's draft. Next Monday's drop, along with the loop around the league, we're going to look back at the recent drafts by the Rams, hand out some grades on those drafts, and we're also going to hand out some midseason awards for the Rams. Then on next Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, we'll be back into our regular groove with a preview of the Ram-Packer game, something you can all listen together to around Thanksgiving dinner. Wouldn't that be nice? Next up, classes in session. I'm going to try to set the record straight on what draft picks the Rams have next year and what comp picks they can expect to get. More is always better. That's why MyBookie instantly doubles all first-time deposits. With double the funds, you can double your action and, more importantly, double your wins. Getting in on the action has never been easier. I can bet with all my favorite currencies, including crypto, and with all the extra scratch, why not get in on the biggest matchups of the week at MyBookie? 
As we inch closer to the NFL playoffs, there are some pivotal games to be on the lookout for this weekend, including a showdown between divisional rivals when the San Francisco 49ers take on the Los Angeles Rams. Behind MVP candidate Matt Stafford, the Rams are looking to continue rolling as they take on the fierce 49er defense. The Rams are legit. Bet them to cover the spread. Don't wait. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get in the game and start winning now. Use my promo code RAMSUP to receive double your first deposit instantly. That's promo code RAMSUP so you can double your funds to double your winnings. Bet anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. So over the past several weeks, perhaps even months, on social media and on various podcast episodes, I have perhaps misrepresented the Rams draft situation for next year. So I've spent about the past week and a half digging deep, trying to make sure I get this right, what the Rams have next year, what they might be getting comp pick-wise, and how those comp picks work. And specifically those comp picks that are known as 2020 Resolution JC-2A selections. In short, those are the comp picks that are awarded when a team hires a minority coach or executive such that it is a promotion for that person. So I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds here. It's much too complicated, but I wanted to give everyone a high-level understanding of what's going on with the Rams draft situation for 2022. Now, first, let me explain. Comp picks are awarded in rounds three through seven. And it's a secret formula that the NFL uses. No one's quite sure exactly how it works, but I think people are starting to get a better understanding. Basically, you lose free agents and you gain free agents. You look at the net loss. And if there is a net loss, you can potentially be awarded a pick in rounds three through seven. Now, there are some restrictions on comp picks. A team can receive at most four. This does not include the Resolution JC2A comp picks for the minority hires. So you can have four plus whatever 2020 Resolution JC2A picks you are awarded. Another limitation, there are only 32 picks awarded each year. So you could potentially at first be awarded four, but you might not get all four of them because your fourth pick would have been the 33rd or 34th pick awarded. So let me restate that so everyone understands. You can get up to four picks. However, only 32 picks total are allowed. So when they rack and stack these picks as they're awarded, five third-rounders, seven fourth-rounders, 12 fifth-rounders, and so on, if they get to your fourth pick or even your third pick and it's beyond the top 32, you will not get that pick. So I went back and looked at last year, and I was originally confused because there were 37 comp picks. However, four of those were the Resolution JC2A picks. 
So there were 32 comp picks for free agent losses and four of these resolution picks. Where'd that 37th pick come from? And what happened last year is the NFL made an error when they awarded the comp picks, realized they had made a mistake, realized they had screwed the New England Patriots of all teams out of a comp pick. So instead of taking away a comp pick that had already been mistakenly awarded, they said, you know what, we're going to give the Patriots their pick. So there will be actually 33 this year and this year only. So 32 for free agent losses at plus one because of the mistake they made and four of these 2020 resolution picks. So let's get back to the Rams. What do the Rams have in 2022? And this is where I may have screwed up on occasion. They have their fifth round pick and they have their seventh round pick. And they also have the Dolphins seventh round pick, which was part of that Akib Talib trade. And they will definitely be getting a third round pick, one of these resolution picks, for the Lions hiring Brad Holmes. So the Rams have right now four picks in the bag. And the reason I'm even talking about this is because it just drives me crazy. I get in arguments with people all the time. Hey, you guys got no picks. How could the Rams possibly have any pick? How could the Rams make a trade like that? They got picks left. You know, granted, the Rams have traded away their high draft picks. But every year, year in and year out, they have a pretty good collection of mid and low round draft picks. And they usually manipulate the draft very well and collect a couple more. So what are they going to get next year in comp picks? Well, no one knows for sure, but this is what the so-called experts are saying. Lance Zerline actually proposed this, that they will get a fourth round pick for John Johnson. They'll get a sixth round pick for Troy Hill. They will get a sixth round pick for Gerald Everett, and they will get a sixth round pick for Samson Ekuban. Now, there was one other free agent they lost, Morgan Fox, but that would be in excess of the four they're allowed, so they will not get a pick for that. And I guess it's possible they wouldn't get that sixth round pick for Samson Ekuban if it happened to fall below that 32 when they're all rack and stacked. But Zerline thinks they're going to get them all which would give them eight picks in next year's draft right now. Eight picks. Not zero. Don't believe what you read or hear. The Rams should have eight picks before the draft starts, barring any additional trades. So that's my understanding. I think it's pretty accurate. A third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, a fifth-round pick, three sixth-round picks, and two seventh-round picks. Just wanted to get that out there, partly because I know I have screwed this up in the past, and also because you're going to hear over and over again, every time the Rams make a move, every time they talk about the Rams mortgaging their future, they have no draft picks. Silly stuff, they have eight next year, and will probably end up making nine or ten picks when all is said and done. As promised, we're going to check in on UCLA basketball. The UCLA Bruins look like they're back on track. Going to be a consistent national power, in my opinion, thanks to the 2019 hire of Coach Mick Cronin. This guy is the real deal. 
It's been so much fun watching this Bruin basketball team over the last couple of years. What a difference. They are tough. They are resilient. They play defense. And they are also recruiting very well. For the record, my second favorite team is the UCLA Bruins basketball team. I think it would go something like this. Rams first, obviously, followed by UCLA basketball, then the Dodgers, and then the Lakers. But on Friday, November 12th, the Bruins hosted Villanova. Bruins came in ranked number two, Villanova number four. And the Bruins, down by 10 in the second half, rallied for the tie, and then won in overtime, 86-77. to Johnny Juzang picking up right where he left off. Guy is super talented, although they do pull him in situations where they need defensive stops. So that's the one concern about him as far as playing at the next level. But he very well could be playing in the NBA a year from now. I wanted to give a shout out to Jay Bylas, who was in the broadcasting booth. He stole a pet peeve from us. Late in that game, UCLA fans started chanting overrated at number four ranked Villanova. So what the fans were saying is, our team's victory isn't as impressive as some people might think. And Bylas asked the same thing I always ask in this situation. Why are you doing that? Why are you devaluing your team's win? Makes no sense. You're about to beat the number four team in the country and your response is, hey, you guys aren't really that good. And kudos to Jay Wright, also the coach of Villanova. He dragged his team across the country to play a marquee program. Imagine what SEC football might look if they didn't avoid doing the same thing for three decades. Fun fact for you, the University of Florida football team has not scheduled a road game in the Pacific time zone in 38 years. In fact, they haven't scheduled a non-conference road game outside of the state of Florida in 30 years. Last time, they traveled to Syracuse in 1991, and they lost. Lately, it's been Florida State, University of Miami, Southern Florida, all strong programs, but not much travel involved. So you got to give credit to Jay Wright, who happens to be good friends with Mick Cronin, Brings his team out west to play a very good team on the road across three time zones. Good for him. UCLA recruiting has really picked up with Cronin on board. Five-star guard Peyton Watson is here this year. He had a little bit of playing time against Villanova. I'm sure they'll start working him into the rotation more. And next year, they have commits from five-star center Adam Bona, five-star guard Amari Bailey, and four-star point guard Dylan Andrews. Bona is the 19th-ranked prospect nationally, six foot nine, 225 out of Napa Valley. Bailey, 6'5", 190 out of Sierra Canyon, is an athletic combo guard, and Andrews, another point guard out of Windward High School. So Mick Cronin getting it done on the recruiting trail when these prospects realize that They can come play for one of the best programs historically in the country and for a very, very good coach. Makes this program appealing once again. Right now, the team is without Cody Riley, out with a hopefully minor knee injury. He should be back soon. But when he's back, they can go 10 deep. And man, they have some shooters. David Singleton, Jules Bernard, Johnny Juzang, Jamie Jaquez, 
and even Jake Kyman off the bench, they can all rain threes. They still have Tiger Campbell, the great floor general. He's only a junior. Seems like he's been there for five or six years, I swear. But he runs the point for them. And Jalen Clark, the sophomore guard, they'll be counting on him to contribute. With Riley out, they're going to be a little thin in the front court. They're going to have to get contributions from Miles Johnson, the senior, and Kenneth Nwamba, the junior out of Lagos, Nigeria. Both those guys, 6'10", 255. And even when Riley comes back, they're going to be a little thinner than they would like to be. Mac Etienne is likely out for the year. He's the guy that came on board middle of the season last year as a freshman. We're likely not going to see him again until next year. Big dates on their schedule, November 23rd, Gonzaga. And with Chet Holmgren on their team now, the seven-foot freshman center, they're going to be a really tough out. December 1st, Pac-12 play begins with Colorado, and they have a date with North Carolina as well, December 18th. The two big dates on their Pac-12 schedule will be with Oregon, of course. That will be their biggest threat to a conference title. This year, I think they have a real shot at a national title, especially based on what we saw last year with that run they made. It was incredible. But like I said, Gonzaga's got to be the favorite. Next year, with those three new recruits on board and Mac Etienne coming back healthy, but they'll lose Jules Bernard, Cody Riley, and David Singleton, among others. When we don't know about Jaquez and Juzang, they could return, but I suspect they will both enter the NBA draft. So next year, what are you looking at next year? You got Tiger Campbell, Jalen Clark, and Peyton Watson returning as guards, but throw in Amari Bailey and Dylan Andrews. They're going to have a really solid and deep backcourt. Jake Kaiman also returns. And then the two centers, Nwamba and Etienne, as well as the five-star recruit, Adam Bona. So this team is looking really good this year. And the future looks very bright for the UCLA Bruins and Mick Cronin. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on either team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're going to pack quite a bit into this segment. We're going to go through my Elite 8 plus 2 power rankings. We're going to take a look at the playoff situation, the standings as they sit today. And then we'll get to my Week 11 game picks. 
My Elite 8 plus 2, I got the Packers at the top, number 1. One of the few teams that seems to be clicking on all cylinders as long as Aaron Rodgers is on the field. Number 2, I have the Buffalo Bills. Bounced back from a very poor showing, look like they're back on track. Not to say they don't have a blemish, though. Number 3, by default, the Tennessee Titans. On a roll... I'm still not convinced, but got to hand it to them. They're 8-2. and two. Number four, I have the Los Angeles Rams. Now, that was a crappy performance on Monday night. But if you look at these teams behind them, I think you understand why I still have them at number four. Number five, the Arizona Cardinals. Now, when Kyler Murray comes back, that's going to change, of course. But is he going to stay healthy? That's always going to be a question with this team. Can Kyler Murray stay healthy? Number six, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, coming off a loss to the Washington football team. Number seven, the Kansas City Chiefs, starting to come back, starting to slowly rise in these rankings. In a couple weeks, I'll probably have them in the top four, the way things are going. But still have them at number seven. Can't get over those losses that they've had early in the season quite yet. And rounding out the top eight, my Elite Eight, the Dallas Cowboys. Bounce back from that anemic offensive performance against the Broncos. And my plus two, I have the Patriots and the Ravens. Patriots looking more than just a playoff team at this point. They could really contend for that AFC title. That defense is playing very well, and Mac Jones getting it done. And the Ravens are the Ravens with Lamar Jackson there. They're going to have their ups and downs, but... That's a team that always scares me. Never want to play them. And remember, we have them on our schedule, so that'll be a fun game. Let's take a look at the standings as they sit today after week 10. In my mind, there are nine teams we can quit talking about when it comes to the playoffs. Just exclude them from the conversation, please. Five in the NFC, the Washington football team, the Giants, the Bears, the Lions, and the Seahawks. Yes, the Seahawks putting them in this same group with Detroit. How sweet is that? And four teams in the AFC, the Dolphins, the Texans, the Jags, and the Jets. Cross them off your list. Mathematically, yes, still alive. Realistically, no, they are not. If the playoffs started today, the Packers and Titans would have buys. The Rams would be traveling to Tampa Bay. The Saints would be at Dallas. And the Panthers would be visiting the Cardinals. On the AFC side, the Steelers would be playing the Chiefs, Patriots at the Ravens, and the Chargers at the Bills. Some interesting matchups there. That'd be a lot of fun. I don't have a problem with the Rams traveling to Tampa Bay. And who's on the outside looking in? I'm just going to talk about the NFC here. Looking at the Niners, they're 4-5. and five. But they got a lot of winnable games. The Jags, the Falcons, and the Texans. But they're the type of team that will probably lose one of those. They also have the Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals, Titans, and the Rams. But they got a good chance at getting to 10 wins. Which would mean that final game of the season, Rams-Niners, could mean something. A team I really like, the Vikings 4-5. and five. They have the Lions and the Bears twice left. But they got some tough games too. Niners, the Packers twice, Steelers, and the Rams. 
We'll know a little bit more about the Vikings after this upcoming game against the Packers. They need a win badly in that one. Do the Eagles have a shot? Four and six. They have the Giants, the Jets, and the Washington football team twice. But they also have the Saints, Cowboys, and Steelers. They could get to eight wins, realistically. Maybe even nine. And then the Falcons, four and five. They have the Jags, Panthers, Lions, and Niners left, as well as the Patriots, Bucks, Bills, and Saints. I don't think they're going to be able to get the 10 wins. And two teams that are currently in playoff spots, the Panthers and the Saints. Panthers have two games left with the Bucks plus the Bills. And the Saints have the Bills, Bucks, and Cowboys. So both of them are vulnerable. But the team that I think still has the best chance of making a run is the Niners. I think the Rams need to try to get to 11 wins to secure a spot for sure. If they can only get to 10, they could be in a fight. And who do they have left? Okay, so they're 7-3. and three. They have the Seahawks, Cardinals, and Niners. Three divisional games. The Packers, Ravens, and Jags. So they definitely need three wins out of that. Would like to see them get four. I'm thinking they can handle the Jags and the Seahawks. So of those remaining four, Cardinals, Niners, Packers, and Ravens need to get two wins out of that to really secure that spot. A win over the Packers would be gigantic in their playoff push. In the AFC, five teams that could still make a push outside looking in right now. Bengals, Browns, Raiders, Broncos, and Colts. It's a mess in the AFC. A lot of teams with a shot. I'm not going to even get into it right now. Last week in my picks, I did not do well. Went 6-7. and seven, Dropped under 60% on the year. 59%. I am very disappointed in myself. I'm now one game behind Pete Prisco. Well behind Lorenzo Reyes. I could still catch Mike Florio, though. I just need to have one really good week. I did win both of my bets. Saints plus three over the Titans and Washington plus 10 over the Bucks. Who do I have this week in my picks? Patriots, Falcons. Patriots on a roll. Go with the Pats. Dolphins at Jets. Dolphins played very well last week. Jets struggled, so I'll go with the visiting Dolphins. Colts at Bills. That'll be a fun one. I'm going to go with the home team, the Bills. Ravens at Bears. I will take the Ravens. They're going to bounce back after that poor performance against the Dolphins. Texans versus Titans. Titans won't need a free 14 points to win this one. Saints versus Eagles. Another really good game. A very important game. Eagles trying to stay alive in a win against the Saints. It's exactly what they need, and I think they're going to get it. Packers at Vikings. I'm going to take the Vikings. Everybody's going to be on the Packers on this one, but I'll go with Minnesota. Washington football team at the Panthers. Washington just lost Chase Young. Sometimes, like I talked about earlier, teams bounce back from that, lose a player, and other people step up, but I'm still going to take the Panthers. Lions at Browns. Go with the Browns. 49ers at Jags. 49ers, although this is the type of game the Niners lose. Bengals at Raiders. I will go with the home team Raiders. Finally, have all that drama behind them. They need to start playing some real football. I think they will. Cowboys at Chiefs. 
I think the Cowboys are the slightly better team at this point, but the Chiefs are finally getting it together. They'll be at home. Flip a coin on this one, though. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Cardinals at Seahawks. I will go with the Cardinals. Steelers at Chargers. Chargers get it done, get back on track. Should be a low-scoring game, but I'll take the renters there. Giants at Bucks on Monday night. I will take the Bucks. And my bets of the week. I'm going to go with three bets this week. I'm going with three underdogs. The Jags plus six over the Niners. The Vikings plus two and a half over Green Bay. And the Giants plus 11 over Tampa Bay. That's a lot of points. 11 points. Overall, my betting this year, I am now six correct and five wrong. Put three more on the table here. We'll see how I do. for another sports pet peeve and this one is probably gonna stir up some of you red-blooded American males. I'm sure a lot of you will disagree with me but so be it. And this has to do with competitive cheerleading and the discussion that has been going on forever it seems like regarding whether this is a sport or should be considered a sport. Now, let me get one thing out of the way. Uh, A lot of people don't understand that if you go to your son's high school football game and you see cheerleaders on the sideline, it's very possible that they have another life they're living in the competitive cheer world. And it is quite different, much more challenging. And yes, it is a sport. There's also some semantics to consider regarding the term sport. And, well, let's get through that real quickly. Sometimes the argument is that if there's a judge involved, it's not a sport. You don't have an opponent you're going against. But if you're going to call diving a sport, then competitive cheer should be a sport. If you're going to call gymnastics a sport, then you should call competitive cheer a sport. If you're going to call figure skating a sport, then you should call competitive cheer a sport as well. And maybe the problem is the fact that we call it competitive cheer. It's really the wrong name. It's really a combination of gymnastics and dance and choreography. And if you've ever seen a high-level competitive cheer routine, you'll understand also that these boys and girls, men and women, are incredible athletes. And to be successful at that level requires a lot of hard work, as much work as just about any other so-called sport. I'll give you an example of a cheerleader I knew at the high school level. Her typical morning started around 7 a.m. where her entire team would do cardio work before class. After school, it was working on the routine, which always includes some impressive gymnastics, back handsprings, standing back tucks, that sort of thing. And then typically two nights a week with a gymnastics trainer working on improving their skill set and honing the skills that they've already mastered. And by the way, in the instance I'm aware of, 11 months a year, 
This is not just during the school year. It's 11 months a year. And one of the reasons they were allowed to do that is because it was not a sanctioned sport at the high schools at that time. So they got no financial support from the school, but they were also allowed to practice all summer long, and they did. If I remember correctly, they would take one month off a year. So it's train in the morning, train after school, train two nights a week. Oh, and by the way, during the school year, please make your appearance at the football games and the basketball games. And hey, if you can get your homework done, that'd be nice too. The other part of it that kind of really bothered me is after recognizing how hard these girls and sometimes boys worked, they were treated so poorly by the student body and some of the teams too. Just really not much gratitude shown towards the cheerleaders that I was aware of. Not that they really cared. Most of these girls, the team I'm referring to was all girls. They were pretty stand-up student citizens, great grades, hardworking. Virtually everyone that I know of went on to college. Can't say so much about the basketball and football players that we worship. So wanted to get through that. Yes, competitive cheer is a sport, and many of them are incredible athletes as well. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And please don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And don't forget, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library, Crimson Fly by Hama Hama.